Okay, if you keep your Bibles open at Jeremiah chapter 1, uh, it's on page 746, the Red Bibles. I'm going to refer to the text a lot this morning. Uh, so keep it open, page 746, uh, and we'll have a look at that. Last week at the end of Proverbs, the Proverbs series, we did a kind of review, looking back over the series. Um, but today we're going to do a kind of preview, this time looking forward to this series on Jeremiah. Uh, it's the longest book of the Bible, actually by word count. It actually takes up 5.2% if you're into numbers of the word count of the Bible. Uh, I'll point out a number of key themes that will be touched on over the next uh, 11 weeks, uh, and these spots will be called Watch This Space. So I'll point out a few things as we go. So keep your Bibles open. Jeremiah 1, page 746, uh, and we'll go through that together. Let me pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, in the ups and downs of life, we thank you that the one consistent thing we can keep coming back to you is the truth of your word. As we begin our journey through the book of Jeremiah that you are leading us into, we ask that our hearts will be curiously attuned to what you will tear down in our lives and what you will build up as your word burns brightly in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, knock down, rebuild. One thing you notice around this local area, particularly when you go for a walk, the amount of houses being knocked down. Does anybody have a house getting knocked down in their street at the moment? There's some people around the corner. I can't believe it, up here on the corner of Wentworth Road and Burwood Road, around the corner from you guys, over here in South Stratfield, just down the road from here from Kay's Place, a place being built. Knockdown rebuilds going on all over, all over the place. And every week there seems to be another a block that's knocked down around. And as we start our 12-week series on Jeremiah, we will explore a little bit of a knockdown rebuild work that God is doing among his people. Uh, a knockdown rework that God is doing among his people. And we ask the question, how is God rebuilding people's lives? How is God rebuilding people's lives? Well, where does Jeremiah, to start with, fit into the storyline of the Bible? Well, I'm going to go through very quickly, and you've got to try to keep up with me. Uh, there's a little bit of an outline there, an extra edition that I gave you in the bulletin that gives you a rough uh, outline of Jeremiah's life. There's a lot in there. I'm going to go through it, see if you can pick up a couple of things. And we use, we've been using the four E's of the Old Testament to give us a bit of a, a framework to use to remember where the different pieces are in. And the first E is for Eden, the Garden of Eden, where God gave his people his word to live by. They were wise in their own eyes and they rejected it. Judgment resulted and they were exiled out of God's place. That was the Garden of Eden. But God showed them grace in his judgment and made a series of promises that one day they will be reunited. And these promises are called covenants, covenant to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David. And later in Jeremiah, we will look at what is called the new covenant, a famous part of Jeremiah 31. So watch this space for the new covenant in Jeremiah. Now the people wandered around and around and they ended up as slaves in Egypt, uh, which was the next big E, which was E4. Not for Egypt, E4, Exodus, that's right, Exodus out of Egypt. God used a man called Moses to lead the people as they made an exodus from slavery in Egypt. Which brings us to the third E, they, the third E is for, uh, so Eden, Exodus, 
Entry, that's right, entry, entry into the promised land. Eden, Exodus, entry, and they entered the promised land and on the brink of entering the promised land, God explained in the book of Deuteronomy that we looked at last year, that if they listen to God, that they'll, be, they'll be able to stay in the land and enjoy it. After demanding a king, God raises up a series of kings to lead the people. Uh, what's the name of a king? Some of the kings, call out some of the names. First king was, starting S. Saul, his son, not his son, sorry, another king. David, that's right, and David's son, Solomon. They're the three main kings that we know the most about. There's a lot of other ones, but Saul, David, Solomon are the well-known ones. Solomon built the temple. Solomon was the one who built the temple in Jerusalem, and God blessed his reign. And the book of Proverbs that we've looked at in the last term reflected how he, has a healthy, he was a healthy, wealthy, and wise king. But he stopped practicing what he preached, unfortunately, for Solomon. He became wise in his own eyes and he let love and faithfulness leave him. He married a whole bunch of different women and he let his heart be led astray by them. So after he died, his kingdom, the kingdom split in two. One in the north was called Israel uh, and Solomon's son, a man by the name of Jeroboam, uh, was king in the capital. Does anybody know what the capital was? of Israel, Samaria, that's right, and so the Samaritans, the Good Samaritan, connected to this place called Samaria, that was the kingdom in the north, and the other kingdom in the south was called, starting with J, Judah, that's right, the capital of Judah was Jerusalem, that's an easy way to remember, Judah, Jerusalem, both start with the letter J, because I always get confused, what was the one in the north, what was the one in the south, which one's the capital, so J and J for the south, Judah, the capital was Jerusalem, the temple, that's where the temple was built, and the, the Solomon's, one of Solomon's other sons with an also similar sounding name, Rehoboam. Rehoboam was king. So Jeroboam was king in one place and Rehoboam was king in the other. Now these kingdoms, uh, these two kingdoms had a bit of a good king, bad king kind of experience. The kings in the north, they were basically pretty dodgy and uh, they were wise in their own eyes. They did not fear the Lord and in the, eye, in the words of two kings, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And that kingdom was basically wiped out by another nation called Assyria. Now Judah in the south had some kings who did trust in the Lord. God, such as kings such you might have heard of Hezekiah, which is not a book in the Bible, by the way. It sounds like it, but don't quote Hezekiah 3.16 or anything. It's the name of a king, not the name of a book. Josiah was another one. But there are other kings who were dodgy and made things worse, such as a guy called Jehoiakim and Zedekiah, uh, and uh, some were a little bit of both, a bit lukewarm. And this is where verse 1 puts Jeremiah into the picture of the Old Testament. Have a look at verse 1 there. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. Now the word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, uh, son of Amon, king of Judah. So remember, Josiah was one of the good kings. Uh, and it was in Judah in the south. And also through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. So Josiah was one of the good kings. He became the king at the age of eight, can you believe it, when his father Ammon was assassinated after a few years on the throne. Age of eight, he obviously grew into the role uh, and after discovering the scrolls of the Lord deep inside the temple, he tried to reform things, tried to turn things around. 
And meanwhile, meanwhile, the broader political situation around was hotting up, uh, just like it is today. And the major nations that were posturing for power around Judah at the time, there was Assyria in the north, there was Egypt to the south, and then there was Babylon to the northeast. Uh, they were all sort of shifting, and there's a lot of instability in the air politically. Now, the northern kingdom of uh, Israel had already been destroyed by the Assyrians. So that was out of the picture. So it was just the southern kingdom of Judah left. Now, Babylon was the next big thing on the scene and it was threatening Assyria. Uh, King Josiah, he, 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 tried to, he died trying to stop Egypt coming up to help Assyria because uh, he was worried that Assyria might invade him. And then his son, uh, after he died, his son called Jehoiakim, uh, ended up on the throne and he was a little bit of a puppet king for the Egyptians. He was a dodgy despot and he burned a bunch of Jeremiah's scrolls in the fireplace, a very vivid image that will come up in chapter 36. So watch this space about the scrolls being burned in the fireplace. Now after 11 years he died and his other son, uh, a, a guy called Jehoiachin this time. Now they're all saying, sound very similar, the Jehoiakim sounds very Korean, Jehoiachin sounds very Chinese. Uh, and so it's sort of all these things going on here. Now in the meantime, now in the meantime, Babylon had since become stronger and more powerful, dominated the political landscape, and they invaded Israel, they invaded Judah. They invaded Judah and they captured the city of Jerusalem. Now Jehoiachin, Jehoiachin's uncle, and Josiah's remaining son, Zedekiah this time, he was put on the throne by the Babylonians. So there's lots of different things going on here. And unfortunately, he made a dodgy decision to throw in his lot with the Egyptians to try to get away from the Babylonians. And the Babylonians, they weren't happy. Not happy Jan. And so they, they uh, came in, the Babylonians said, OK, you try to join up with the Egyptians. They came in and they destroyed everything. Uh, in Israel, including the temple. They tore the temple down, destroyed it, and basically took everybody into exile in Babylon. And, and that's the fourth E of the Old Testament, E for exile. Uh, Eden, Exodus, entry, exile. Got it? Okay, have you got it? Okay, you've got 30 seconds. Turn to the person, tell them everything I've just said in the last minute. No, that's okay, that's okay. Um, but we come to this point of exile in the history of the Bible, which is a very unknown kind of space. And in terms of learning things about the Bible, it's an area that I took, takes, is one of the last areas to learn. You learn a lot about the stories of Exodus and the Red Sea and all that. But the exile is an area that's very uh, significant throughout uh, the Old Testament. But that's pretty much what happened throughout the lifetime of Jeremiah. And as you can see, it was very dramatic and there's a lot of things going on. And if you'd like to read about it yourself, two kings chapter 22 to 25, uh, and it outlines in those five chapter, uh, four chapters uh, what actually happened in that space that I summarised in a couple of minutes. Now, let's have a look at the man Jeremiah himself. Um, verse 4 there, let's have a look at him uh, before we have a look at some of the things that he says. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, verse 4, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, like the call of Isaiah and Ezekiel, Jeremiah's is in this form of a dialogue. There's this discussion going on. And we saw in the book of Deuteronomy last year in chapter 18 that as Moses was about to die, he said, he said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet uh, like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. 
Now, in one sense, is Jeremiah is one like that prophet that Moses spoke about, that God was raising up these different prophets, ultimately pointing to the ultimate prophet, Jesus, who was to come. Now, he was the son, Jeremiah was the son of a priest, and over time, he probably recognised that his role as a prophet in light of what Moses said in Deuteronomy. And one of the things we'll discover as we go through the book of Jeremiah again is how he becomes a prophet to the nations. And that's a theme that comes up uh, and we discover the scope of God's plans is not just to Judah, but to the nations. So watch this space again about what Jeremiah says about the nations. But for now, uh, he was a little bit more like Moses, who shrank from the task. If you remember when God calls Moses, he was a little bit so, oh, hold on a second, uh, what's going on here? And then there was Samson, you remember? Samson was hiding as well. He's crushing grapes in, in the wine press and trying to hide from God. And there was Isaiah, who pleaded with God that he was unworthy and he, he wasn't you know, the right guy. And even Mary, when uh, the angel visited her, she questioned God about whether she was the right person and made question, comments about um, being a virgin and just questioning God and what he's saying. So Jeremiah's doing the same thing and he's, he's questioning his suitability for such a calling. And he says in verse 6 there, Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. Now, it's not that he was dumb and couldn't actually speak or anything, but perhaps in his inexperienced youth he, he had no training or, or some, say, like some say he was in his 30s and he felt like he, had, he was just too young. It just wasn't, wasn't him. And, but in human adequa- inadequacy, uh, naturally always provides an opportunity for divine enabling. Uh, God equips and enables his people for what he has called them to. And verse 7 uh, says this, But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Now these are reminiscent of words spoken to Joshua as he was called to take over the leadership from Moses and lead the people into the promised land. Jeremiah is assured of God's presence with him. But the key reason that sets Jeremiah apart is that he won't be speaking what is on his own heart. He won't be speaking his own words and ideas as the false prophets do. But he will only be speaking the very words of God. Verse 9 highlights this when it says, verse 9, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. Now later we will discover that Jeremiah was tempted not to speak the words of God because it was not what people wanted to hear. So watch this space when we get to chapter 37 and 38 to see how Jeremiah wrestles with that struggle about speaking the words of God because it was not what people wanted to hear. But for now, verse 10 summarises the message of the whole book. See today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. It sets the scene for strong, fiery words to come that we will unpack in this emotionally intense book in the coming months. It's, a, it's an intense book. It's emotionally intense. So get ready as we come to travel through it. Now, if Jeremiah wasn't nervous enough already, uh, this wouldn't make it any easier for him. 
this level of responsibility, knowing that the words that he speaks that are God's words are going to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow. But they also to build and to plant, and that's what God's word does. It tears down the arrogance of our hearts. It builds us up and replants us. This brings us to the second half of the passage. And God provides these two messages in the form of of two everyday relatable images. One is a message for him, for Jeremiah personally, and one is a message for the people. Let's have a look at the message for him first. Verse 11 and 12. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Now, this is the first of a number of occasions where an illustration from nature is used to communicate a message. Uh, And there's a a fantastic and amazing image in chapter 17, one of my favourite verses in the Bible. So watch this space, chapter 17, the image of a a tree. But uh, in the area that Jeremiah lived, in this particular tree that they're talking about, is an almond tree. Uh, And uh, in the area that he lived, the first tree to bud in the springtime uh, was the almond tree. And the area today in in that part of the world uh, is still a centre for almond growing. Uh, Now, the locals knew it as more than just a a nut-growing tree. It was also known as the wake tree. Uh, The wake tree, not to be confused with a funeral or anything like that, but it was called a wake tree because its blossoms were the first to awake at springtime, the first to awake at springtime. And I remember when I was studying at uh, at college and there was a jacaranda tree in the college courtyard where I studied. Uh, And as you know, jacarandas have those rich purple flowers they come out for about a week uh, every November and they look fantastic in the tree, but once they fall on the ground, they're pretty shocking and make a huge mess and everything. But in those days, our exams, our, our, exam, uh, our exams were based every year rather than every semester. So our exam at the end of the year was for the whole year's work rather than just one semester. And so the joke was, if you haven't started studying by the time the jacaranda had flowered, then there's a pretty good chance you're going to fail the exams. It was a bit of a, the judgment was coming. There was a symbol of judgment of the exam was coming by the time the jacaranda flowered. It was a sort of a a sign there. Uh, And uh, it's interesting that uh, also the original word for almond uh, in the original language is similar to the word watch. So the fragment of colour on this budding almond tree uh, symbolises that God is watching closely. And there should be a, a picture of an almond tree coming up. Did it come up before? I wasn't looking. Uh, yes, there we go. There's a little flower there, and that's what the almonds uh, look like. And so that fragment of colour on the a budding almond tree symbolises is that God is watching closely because as sure as the almonds bud in spring, so will the word of God come true in time. You can be sure of it. The time is coming where the word of God will become true. And later in chapter 20, again, watch this space, Jeremiah struggles and wrestles with doubt about the certainty of whether God's word will come true. He's saying some pretty radical things, and as Christians we say some pretty radical things, and at times we doubt and wrestle. Is it really going to come true? Is Jesus really going to come back? And we'll explore that in chapter 20. But this would have been a reassuring image for Jeremiah in those times that he could recall. 
And just like we recall passages in moments of doubt and struggle, Jeremiah would have seen the image of, a, of an almond tree and remembered that God is watching. Yes, God is watching and his promises are going to come true. So for Jeremiah, the reassurance that God will make it happen despite what everybody else thinks otherwise and despite the way that people mock him and mock us. It's quite significant for him personally that he sees this image of an almond tree and remembers that God is watching and what God's word has said, God's word will come true. Now, for morning tea, I was going to put a few bowls of uh, almond nuts over there in morning tea uh, just to remind ourselves that God is going to keep his word, just to, you know, the tactile kind of images that we, we like to use. But Liz wisely reminded me that uh, some children have allergies to nuts and uh, you just can't, you, we have to have a nut-free environment here. So there's going to be no nuts over at morning tea. But uh, every time you see an almond nut, uh, remember, remember that God's word is going to come true and it is coming true. So uh, last week we taught, used donuts to remind ourselves do not be wise in our own eyes and the silly image of a donut, and you missed that, Jasper. Uh, and, uh, but uh, instead of the word donut, it's got the do nuts. So think of do nuts. And so nuts are a reminder, a reminder that God's word is going to come true. Uh, and so do nuts instead of donuts uh, and see how you go. Uh, now verse 13 begins to pick up now on this image uh, to the people this time. He's talking to Jeremiah personally to reassure him and then he picks up on the message for the people uh, which is not as encouraging, this one. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? Uh, I see a pot that is boiling. I answered, it is tilting toward us from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. And they will come against her, against all her surrounding walls and against the towns of Judah. And as mentioned earlier in the history overview, this indeed comes true by the end of the book of Jeremiah. But throughout the book, Jeremiah is speaking about this event and everybody's not believing him as if as if they're going to be invaded and jeremiah keeps reminding them this is what god is saying and then at the end it, we discover that it does actually happen and the promised land is no longer theirs to enjoy the reason is given in verse 16 i will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me in burning incense to other gods and in worshipping what their hands have made. Now we're going to unpack this particularly uh, over the next two weeks in particular and it's links to the blessings and curses in Deuteronomy. So watch this space as we explore a lot of this language of idolatry. But for now, the people were guilty for forsaking the God who created them and established them in the promised land. The hands that God had formed in the womb we're now being used to create idols, to bow down and worship. Jeremiah is tasked with, a, tasked with passing on this message of judgment against the people. And if I was Jeremiah, I would be quaking in my boots. It's not easy for him. And so that's why God says to him what he does in verse 17. The passage finishes with these final words. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them 
or I will terrify you before them. Now, this is a harsh warning in verse 17b, but it reminds him to fear God rather than fear men. And we know the God we fear is a God of goodness who loves us and is a God worth revering and respecting. And the reason... He can say this is because of the words in 18. Today I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests and the people of the land. They will fight against you but will not overcome you for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah is going to do it tough. Have a look at how many people are going to be against him. The kings, the officials, the priests, the people. That pretty much covers everybody. They're all going to be out to get him. They will fight against you. Very clear. With so many people against him, Jeremiah is going to be doing it tough. But throughout this series on Jeremiah, again, watch this space, we'll see how, God, how the word of God, through the word of God that Jeremiah speaks, is as strong as a fortified city and can be trusted to come true. God's word is as solid as a rock. It's an impenetrable fortress, an iron pillar and a bronze wall. And that is the word that Jeremiah will be speaking because it will come true. Now the word of God in the Bible is, is both simple and complex. The message is as simple as three words, sin, judgment, grace. People sin, God brings judgment, God shows grace. You can see that pattern repeated over and, again, over, and over again throughout the Bible. The pattern, uh, the book of Judges is a classic example. But the book of Jeremiah falls into a category of what's called prophetic literature where the themes of sin and judgment tend to dominate and come to the surface a lot more. But sprinkled throughout, and we'll discover that through Jude, uh, Jeremiah, that there's all these little signs of God's grace sprinkled throughout the book. And one of the challenges when you're reading uh, prophetic literature is to look for those signs of grace because you can get overwhelmed by the condemnation of sin and, and judgment. And so as we absorb the full weight of the words of judgment in Jeremiah, we need to let those words do their work in our hearts and be open to that. But we also need to look for the signs of grace, that judgment is not the end. And those signs of grace give us glimpses of the good news of Jesus, ultimately pointing forward to who Jesus is and what he's done. In today's text, one of the signs of grace is repeated in verse 8 and again in verse 19. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Verse 19, they will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So what words are repeated there? I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. It is a reminder that God delivers his people. And throughout the book, although he suffers greatly, we will see how Jeremiah's life is saved from his enemies. But for us, Jesus Christ promises to deliver us from our greatest enemy, sin and death. That is our greatest enemy. We have all sinned, we deserve the judgment of God, but God shows grace. Jesus does the ultimate knockdown, rebuild project in history, if you like. Through his death on the cross, Jesus deals with a judgment of death, a great knockdown. He knocks down the power of death through his resurrection. Jesus promises deliverance from death for all who trust in him, the great rebuild for us. So let us take comfort in knowing that just as the almond tree blossoms as a sign of things to come, God is watching to make his promises come true for us in Christ, that the all who trust in Christ 
will be forgiven and live with God forever. Death is not the end. Well, let me draw, draw it to a close with a few words of application. Jeremiah is set apart because he speaks not his own words, but the words of God. And it is a key theme that runs through this book, the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. Again, watch this space, how it comes up. Those who trust in Christ are also set apart because we have the words of God also in the scriptures. And as the Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says these words, for what we preach is not ourselves. We're not preaching ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In all his frailty, insecurity and doubt, God used Jeremiah to communicate his message of sin, judgment and grace. In all our frailty, all in all our insecurity and doubt, God continues to use us to communicate his message of sin, judgment and grace. And when we doubt that God can use us, we belittle God's calling on our lives and God's enabling. Now in 2024, God's word will continue to tear down and build up. The first thing we need to ask is, are we open to letting God's word tear down the attitudes of our hearts that lead us astray? The attitudes of our hearts that make us think that we can be wise in our own eyes. Let's ask for humility that God's word will indeed expose and tear down the false hopes in our own hearts that make us think that we can get away with being wise in our own eyes rather than listening to God. Let us be open to what God's word is going to tear down in our hearts this year. Let us, let us also take heart and be encouraged that the word of God will build us up this year. As much as the word tears down what needs to be done, it also, needs, it also builds up. Let us bring our insecurities, our fears before God and place them in his hands as he shows us through his word how to grow through them and be stronger on the other side. I invite you to be committed to being open to letting God tear down what he needs to tear down and build up what he needs to build up. And the second thing is, let us also remember that God has set us apart to speak the truth of his word in love to one another and to the watching world. In some situations that is going to be awkward, uncomfortable and even lead to outright opposition as we proclaim the word of God. We should not be surprised by things like David said today, they're trying to stop scripture in schools by reducing the funding. We shouldn't be surprised by that because there's going to be leaders, there's going to be nations, there's going to be people who are out to stop the message of the gospel. But let us not be ashamed to prayerfully play our part in holding out the good news of Jesus to the nations. Let us discover together how God is rebuilding people's lives from the inside out as God's word does its work. Let me pray that God will enable us to do just that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, 
We praise you that Jesus tore down the barriers that separated us from you by dealing with sin and judgment through his death on the cross. We thank you that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. May our hearts be open to what your word is going to tear down in our lives this year. And may the truth of your word continue to build us up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are we